This is a Media 8 production. This is an explicit podcast. I saw someone, it wasn't Pete Evans, but it was someone like him. And I saw this person go on television and do a five-minute slot. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, I've treated kind of 65, 68,000 people now one-on-one. And I think, you know what? That bloke there just influenced more lives in five minutes on telly than I've done in my full 17 years sitting on this seat, you know, and that was where I was like, nah, <laughs> there's got to be more, you know, I've got to be able to move away from this. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Human. I had the pleasure of knowing this bloke for about the last five years. He was introduced to me by one of a very good mate of mine, Nick Bowditch. He's a fellow coasty boy from the beautiful beaches of the Central Coast, New South Wales. He's helped me a lot over the years and I reckon he's pretty much saved my life on a couple of occasions. He's a specialist in chronic disease and factors influencing human performance, dietics, training, supplements, etc. He's an educator, he's a columnist, he's a fellow podcaster with Caravan Conversations or the Travelling Wellness Show as it's now known, where he's interviewed everyone from Kerwin Ray to Kelly Slater about all things health and nutrition. He's treated over 45,000 humans in the last 17 years. He's a product formulator in the natural and health and sports nutrition industries. He's a trusted professional in many corporate companies. Most importantly, he's a committed husband and father of three children. And even better, he's an awesome human. He's my mate, Shannon Brenton. G'day, mate. Brett, how are you, mate? Do you like the intro? I like it. It's pretty good, isn't it? Thank you for having me. No worries at all. Thanks well, for coming well along. Well read straight from the script, too, I see. I did, yeah, mate. That's how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> now we get a bit more relaxed. Uh, How's life, bud? Life's good. Life's really good. Where do you come in from today? Um, well, I'm on the Goldie at the moment, so yep. uh, here for six weeks. Um, got off the boat not long ago from three months in Tassie. Hey, that looked awesome on the socials. Was, which was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, loved it down there. Good time of year. Mind you, it robbed me of my summer, but uh, <laughs> hence why I come to Queensland now for a, Catch uh, up for, during for a Tasmanian winter. summer and winter on the Gold Coast. <laughs> yeah, so here for six weeks and a um, bit of work, bit of pleasure and uh, head north after that up to the Cape. Well, mate, thanks for joining me on this podcast. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, one of the things we really like to do here is people know who Shannon Brenton is. Uh, you've got a lot of followers on your podcast and on social media and stuff. But a lot of people don't know who you really are. And what I try and do with Awesome Humans is let's get in there and let's have a good chat about that. Peel, peel me back. Peel yeah. you back like a <laughs> lemon or maybe an orange. Maybe a banana. Maybe whatever way you want to play. Yeah. Anyway, what's your first ever memory? First memory? Wow. You know what? It's probably a bit of a deep one to start with, and yeah. and and may give Let's a little deep and, early. and may give a little bit of uh, of insight as to what my first few years are like. But my first memory, my first earliest memory, I was two, two watching my dad bash my mum. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So I probably said a bit, bit deep in the first three minutes. Mate, let's podcast. go there. Happy to. But, uh, you know, that that is that that is my earliest. I don't know many people that can remember two, but I remember two very vividly for that reason. Mate, the and, earliest uh, we've gone back, I think, is four. Everyone's around four normally. Yeah. yeah. Is that because it was such, obviously, a traumatic yeah, part of your life? Yeah, it was. You know, of course, uh, you know, my mum and I were very tight. And my, my dad was a troubled man, uh, yep. mind I say. Uh, and he's led a troubled life ever since. So he's been out of my life uh, since I was four. Okay. Um, so uh, I actually saw him uh, the year before last. Uh, yep. I went and found him after 36 years. For, uh, for Yeah, it was good, you know. Um, I, I got what I needed um, it to be. And uh, it's funny how fatherhood brought things up for me. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. That I never knew were there. I had a very blessed life, Brett. You know, I had a really uh, a great mum, very involved lady, uh, very good stepfather that she married when I was six. 
uh, and it's been a very fruitful life. So there was no, there was never anything in my life which was negative or disappointing or anything that I was that I took a sadness from. But it was funny how times in my life things would come up, and fatherhood was the big one. Where um, like with my son, I had two daughters and a son. Yep. I just didn't bond with my son the way I would have liked to. And um, and do we, you think that's learnt behaviour? Well, you know, I don't know, but I, I went and saw someone and uh, she knew my life situation and she said, well, Shannon, you're an only child. Um, you've never been shown love from a, a, a living male blood relative. It makes sense that you may have some issues showing love to your own son, um, yeah. being the fact there could be some original wound down there that stopped that from happening for you when you were a boy. So, and, and it's in its own right, that made sense to me. It's, it felt funny showing love to a little boy. It felt strange kissing a little boy. Yeah. It was very different than it was with two little girls. So um, I went and found my dad and I had a chance to, uh, you know, tell him that uh, I was grateful for life and I loved him and I forgave him and all that kind of stuff. Oh, man, I'm tingling. That was just a case of letting go of shit. I'm not one to hold on to things and yep. I'm, I'm all about um, personal, you know, um, transcendence and, and evolution and uh, something comes to my uh, immediate um, understanding, I'll go and grab it by the balls and fix it up, you know. Well, so, but, yeah, that, that's my earliest memory. What did mum think of that, though? What did mum think Me about you going to find him? Um, I think it – I told her and she understood, you know, uh, I told my stepdad as well. I didn't yep. want him to think that it was a, uh, Trying you know, to replace your type yeah, thing. you know, yeah. or, or the fact that you weren't enough and that yeah, I yeah. needed to now go and do this because, um, she understood. Yeah, completely. Um, she also though knows what my dad was like. Um, yeah. I didn't know him, you know, so I didn't know what to expect. So she knew what to expect. And I think that she was hoping that it wasn't a great disappointment for me. And was it? No, it wasn't. No, because I didn't awesome. expect anything. You know, That's so cool. And I, has he got other kids or anything like? Did he remarry no, or you got? No, he did remarry, and um, he married a lady with a child. Um, but no, he never had any other children. Okay. Um, so no, I don't have any step, you know, any, brothers or sisters yeah, running yeah. around the, the world. But um, you know, his life's been been poor. He had a um, uh, a brain injury up here on the Gold Coast about okay. twenty five odd years ago. Had to move down to Port Macquarie to live with his mum again, where he had to learn to walk and speak and all sorts of stuff again. So his life's been shit. Is that karma? Probably. Mate, well, yeah. I'm a true believer in karma. Yeah, I would say so. He was yeah. a dick to a lot of people and, yeah. um, you know, a, a sad man. But I guess in many ways, the beauty of my visit to him was me going to learn why. Uh, he was such a letdown to learn why uh, I had felt this sense of abandonment and rejection and stuff uh, that had showed up at certain phases of my life. And it was interesting sitting there, you know, talking with him, um, going back through particularly that male side. So I was Shannon Harrison originally before I changed oh, yeah. my name. Yeah. yeah. So he's Paul Harrison. But we went right back through the, the Harrison side of the family. And it was just fuck up after fuck up, just yeah. mass emotional suppression, victims of war, uh, people who had never been able to show their son's love or have a good connection with their sons, you know, um, uh, alcoholisms, all the, yep. all the normal stuff, just stuff that was afflicting uh, our generational line. So I guess the, the beauty of the outcome of it was that I you know, told my dad that in honour of that whole Harrison line that I would now go and have the life and relationship with my son that everyone else had missed out on. Oh, mate, you got me tingles again. We're you know, fucking only ask one question. Yeah, so I do it for us all, not necessarily just for me. You know, I think that oh, that's, uh, generationally that's awesome. that stuff, which someone has to take responsibility at some point. And, um, you know, and it's one of the reasons why I do what I do these days, why I travel. It's it's why I have uh, walked away from money. Um, We're going to get to that shortly because that's a massive part of obviously part of your life. Mm. So how's your relationship with your boy now? Right. 
Yeah. Fantastic. It was good. It was good from then, to yeah. be honest with you. So straight after, I had, you I come had, back and gave him the world's biggest hug and just yeah. said, mate, I love you. I just had some shit to bury. And um, from there, it opened my heart up. Uh, there was probably a big part of me that had closed down unconsciously. Yep. Um, and more than likely for fear. Who knows? You know, like a fear of not connecting or, or not being safe to connect um, yeah. based upon what I'd been through previous. But no, it's absolutely fine now. And he's a little bruiser, gives me all sorts of grief <laughs> and tells me he hates me and all sorts of stuff no, like, all, like all kids do. But, uh, you know, and it's uh, equal spades of love and appreciation and affection. Of course. And you wouldn't have it any other way now. Of course. Hey, yeah. That's that's amazing. So there's the first question. First memory. Yeah. Wow. It's a shit memory. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I didn't want to say it, but I didn't want to bullshit either. You know no, what well, I mean? that's the thing. It's been honest. And yeah. that's what the whole thing about this, mate. People don't know that. Yeah. And, um, you must feel better in yourself talking about that stuff. Mm. We do another podcast called The Third Beer and what we do there is there's me and my psychologist because I went and saw him and got help mm. and we talk to someone else that's got issues and we we have a beer while we do it yeah. and we have a chat about stuff and we talk about shit other blokes don't talk about. And to me it's like uh, I'm, I'm getting a um, – psychology lesson at the same time as therapy at the same time as helping other people. And Absolutely. Yeah. Mate, it's awesome. Being, All with truth serum. Oh, exactly. And and that's the thing. You can't sit here and not tell the truth. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. So we'll have to get you back for that. That's, yeah. that's, that's a great mate, day. just get me a beer. We'll do it now. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. We could sort that. So you grew up on the Central Coast? I did. Yep. You did? Uh, we're, I was at uh, Killarney Vale in the entrance. You were on the other side of town. Yeah, you were on the rich side of town, weren't you? I was down in Avoca and Terrigal. Mate, um, one of the best places on the planet, isn't it, really? Beautiful places and uh, young aspiring surfer, you know, good breaks and you know, somewhere to surf when the sun was up. How'd you go on the surfboard? Good. Back yeah. then, you Yeah, right. good. Yeah, surfed from the time I was 10 and uh, it was my passion. I, I cracked my skull in half when I was, uh, when I was, uh, how old was I? I think I would have been uh, 11 maybe. On your board? No, skateboarding. Okay. And um, from that point forward was advised that I never play contact sports. Um, I'd played footy from the time I was four till I was 10. Yep. So, rugby league. Rugby league, yep. So um, all the um, various factors around that went out the window <laughs> and uh, I picked up surfing and and uh, surfed as my sort of chosen passion. And that's um, – you do it now still, obviously? Still surf now, not as much because of the kids. Yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah, I still surf now and um, – Do you find it – like we, we talk about surfing a lot, about how sort of the meditative state that you can get into and just the thrill and, and – catching the wave and what it actually does for you as a person and energy patterns and all that sort of stuff. I find the ocean very cleansing. Mm. Uh, it's sort of orally cleansing as it is for anyone. Yeah. You know, it just sort of, you can go in the ocean in the world's worst mood or having had a bad week or whatever it might be and all that's gone. You know, I used to surf on a Saturday after work and I, I might've had a 60 patient week that week, which was common. Um, I was quite worn out from listening to everyone's problems all week. And then yeah. I'd, I'd get home in the uh, daylight savings of summer grab my board, uh, run down to the beach, have a surf, come back. And it was like I hadn't even seen a patient that week. That's you know? amazing, so isn't it? I love that. But I also love the thing about surfing that uh, it forces flow. Um, you can't force it. You're not in charge of the ocean. Yeah. <clears throat> You're not in charge of the sandbanks. You're not in charge of the reef structure. I don't know if one big one's just going to come there and smash you. 100%. Yeah. And, I, and I was just over in uh, Fiji surfing a wave over there called Cloud Break. Uh, about five months ago now, which is one of the more feared, nasty, most, one notorious of the most iconic in the world waves in the world. Yeah, and uh, you know, over there you do get cleaned up. You know, Where'd you go good. Yeah, yeah. Do you get but, smashed onto the coral and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> the bottom's very hard. You, you, you're forced to deal with that. You yeah. know, you're sitting in position, everything looks good, and then a big west wave comes through from a different swell direction, and it just takes out the entire reef structure, and you, you're there. <laughs> you know, and you got to cop it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there is. Um, 
there's no control. You can't have control. So I think there's a lot of things from surfing that cross over into life as many other sports do as well. Yep. But uh, yeah, I just love that soul connection with the ocean. It's pretty amazing. So where'd you go to school? Um, I went to, well, I, I lived in Sydney till I was nine, moved, okay. moved to the coast when I was uh, the day after my 10th birthday. So I went to school, uh, down in Sydney at a school called Our Lady Queen of Peace, which was a uh, Catholic school, yeah. um, primary school. I was there till, um, uh, year four, early year four, left there, went up to the central coast where I went to, um, another uh, Catholic school, which at the time was right on the, uh, the Haven down there and looked over the skillion and. You said be forced to go to uh, church and look out the window and see waves and just wish I was out there <laughs> instead. Um, and um, from there, I went to St. Edward's College um, at East Gosford yep. and um, from there, Corpus Christi and didn't like there and I left there and finished at Terrigal High School. Wow. So you've been around a bit from that point. I've been around you? a bit. Yeah. So was school good, bad or ugly? I love school. Yeah. yeah, I was I was very academic. I enjoyed school. Were you a nerd or were you a cool kid or were you just on the sidelines? Well, probably a good combination of it all. Do you a know? nerd that surfed. Yeah. I was mm. no and look, I, I enjoy learning, you know. Yeah. I, I've always enjoyed learning even at school. Uh, I had a, a healthy um um respect for my teachers and my peers. Uh, I was well liked at school. Um, you know, I, I didn't cause any grief for anyone. Yeah. I wouldn't say I was one of the cool kids, but I wasn't the dork either. I was sort of somewhere there in the middle. One of those that got on with everyone. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty likable, I'd say. Yeah, you know, and uh, but I but I genuinely enjoyed school. I liked learning. Um, <clears throat> I had a good a lot of good teachers at school, which was yep. good, and they were uh, pivotal in my life. Have you ever, uh, ever been back to think? Yeah, a handful of them. Yeah, I, I, I keep in contact with a couple. Mr. Zohar, who was my biology teacher. I had a flair for biology, surprise, surprise. And uh, he was someone that, that really helped me to uh, to enjoy and nurture that. Uh, I've seen a handful of my – I've actually treated four or five of my old teachers <laughs> yeah. over yeah. the years, yeah, with various different things. And, um, you know, I'll always let people who have been um, inspirational to me know. They're yeah. inspirational. It's an important kind of energy exchange that they realise that. I don't think teachers get enough praise a lot of the time oh, either. Without doubt, mate. You know? Without doubt. So, uh, yeah, I had some really uh, some really good teachers. Uh, I enjoyed learning um, and I just enjoyed mateship, you know. I, I enjoyed the bus rides. I enjoyed, you yeah. know, uh, all None that of the sports carnivals, oh, doing mate. all that sort of stuff. And I was a lad, you know what I mean? I was yeah. always in for some trouble and, uh, you know, I just I enjoyed the whole the whole gamut. So I look back on school with much, um, you know, much fond memories and all my old mates, particularly from St. Eddie's, if anyone's listening, you know, we, we had a good crew there, yep. you know. Boys from Eddie's had your back. Uh, we, Are you still mates with these guys we now? Knew it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm the same. We had there was probably a group of thirty of us. Like, and it's really unusual to have such a good big group of mates. And yeah. we still get on now. We catch up once a year. We go and do this and we go and do that. We play golf and yeah. talk about our kids and have a few beers and that. do all that. So, oh mate, there's nothing yeah. better. It's like last week I went to the the Sydney Swans versus Brisbane Lions game. Two mates on the sunny coast. We've been mates since we were four. That's so awesome. 41 years we've been friends and we've got all our kids with us. We all just go there and uh, we do it once a year now. Yeah. And it's just like these little traditions that you sit back and go, 40 years ago, I played soccer with these guys. I think it's important you always remember where you come from, yep. you know. Uh, I think in life, particularly life these days, as fast-paced as it is, we all get drawn in our sort of uh, various sort of tangents. And uh, for me, it's very important. Uh, I'm quite um, I'm quite sensitive that way. I always know where I come from. Yeah. Uh, always well connected to those memories. Very grateful for those memories. And, of course, grateful for the times I've shared with these people who have been uh, influences in my life. No, definitely. So you went from Terrigal High. Did you go to university? What What made yep. you – so what are you? When so, I say what are you, what I mean for professionally. Yeah, so I'm a naturopath. Naturopath? Cl- clinical nutritionist. Okay. Yep. So I started um, – 
Right. So from, from a very early age, I always wanted to help people. That was yep. always my thing. Uh, I wanted to be a chiropractor for a long time. I've seen chiros since I was two. Yeah. Uh, it was just something I was exposed to. They helped me. Uh, they helped my mum. They helped my dad. It was something I wanted to do, you know. So for a long time, I wanted to be a chiropractor. Uh, that changed. I ended up uh, going into social work. Uh, studied that for a few years and um, worked in uh, various aspects of uh, that um, Central Coast area health yes. area. So I ran a uh, program there, which was at the time new called, um, um, actually, what was it called? It was a safe summer safari, which is basically like a, a safe sex counseling for, for teenagers and stuff on the beaches. Okay. So we go on the beaches and talk about, you know, needles and using condoms and all that sort of stuff and try to do it in a fun you know, way, which. Uh, How old were you then? I would have been uh, 21 okay. at the time, about 21. I'm laying on the beach and this 21-year-old fit bloke yeah, comes yeah. up and talks to me about condoms. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, and, uh, and, and shows you how to put one on a banana. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and from there uh, we opened up a program called Yippie, which was a youth suicide prevention program. Uh, the Central Coast at the time had the highest rate of yep. uh, youth suicide to anywhere in the country. And uh, I guess this gives you some uh, inkling as to the kind of a person I am. We, we were funded uh, a quarter of a million dollars to set this program up um, so some local dipshit and his tie could look good on the front page of the Central yeah. Coast Express. And uh, when the time come to make this all happen, there was no funding for staffing at the time. And so two or three other programs for other poor people, you know, with bipolar and different sorts of conditions uh, were shut down. So it looked good that the resources were being spent in the right area that looked good for our local politicians. So at the time... Um, uh, private practice, social work wasn't really an option. There wasn't much money in it. Uh, my only other thing I enjoy as much as health is business. Uh, yep. I've always been quite money orientated. I wanted to make money doing what I loved. Uh, it wasn't going to happen there. So uh, I ended up leaving and uh, started again. I uh, went and did a uh, health science degree. Um, At university? University, yeah. Which and, uni? Uh, university of New England, Armidale. Okay. And uh, – at the same time, I did all my uh, advanced diplomas and diplomas in naturopathy and um, herbal medicine. Why, why and naturopathy nutrition. and herbal medicine as opposed to sort of becoming a doctor in traditional? Well, well a couple of reasons, um, and those reasons have changed over the years. Uh, at first, that's what all my influence had been. I was a very sickly child, like really sickly child. Um, my poor mum uh, ran around with me in ice baths most of the time with yeah. febrile convulsions, uh, massive fevers. Uh, I was one of these poor kids, one of the one of the rare, I must say, but I was one of the poor kids that had massive vaccination reactions at the time. Mm-hmm. And mum took me to our local doctor, Dr. Chung, uh, good old Dr. Chung in Greystones. I would have been probably four yeah. or maybe a bit younger. And uh, luckily he wasn't there that day. And there was a locum there, uh, another Asian doctor. And he looked at me and looked at my file and saw that I'd had probably 25 courses of antibiotics, you know, in my three years on, on the earth. And, uh, and just said, he said to mum, you, you're killing your child. And mum nice. said, said, what, what do I do? He said, I don't know, but you've got to do something, something else. Something different. So that something else sent my mum down the road of alternate therapies. Wow. It's where we found chiropractic. It's where we found, you know, uh, naturopathy and. Homeopathy. Um, yeah. All that all that at the time. Yeah. Uh, and at a time, you know, what I say to people when I tell this story, it was a time when health food stores sold licorice straps, you know. Yeah. It wasn't like now. There wasn't a lot of choice. There wasn't a lot of, you know, TGA approved listed products, you know, with uh, scientific validation and things behind them. It was a time when uh, it was all very much trial and error. But ba- however, back then, there also wasn't the push these days from the powers that be to try to uh, move those things away from mainstream. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you talk homeopathy, um, you know, it, it saved my life. Homeopathy yeah. has probably been the greatest contributor to my health 
in my entire career. Uh, and to the point now where for me, you know, if I could choose one modality for myself, it'd be the one I'd choose. Homeopathy. Um, homeopathy. So why yep. didn't you become a homeopath? Well, a couple of reasons. Um, for, well, I'm, I, I do practice homeopathy. Yeah, of course. However, um, the, the main reason for me was the juxtaposition between that and naturopathy. Very different worlds. Okay. Uh, from like etiology, like a causation perspective, you know. So with homeopathy, it's founded upon the observable findings, you know, since the 1500s of, uh, of similars, mm-hmm. which basically says that uh, a substance which uh, in a crude state can cause something and a diluted state can fix the very same type of symptoms. Yep. Similar to what vaccinations are, right? You know, like uh, redback spiders, for instance, you get bitten by a redback spider, you take a little bit more redback spider anti-venom and, you know, it builds up antibodies and the body recovers. So the, the mindset of, uh, of homeopathy w- was similar to that, but in the world of naturopathy, it's very different. So with homeopaths, they're not necessarily looking at naming disease. It's more looking at symptoms. Yeah. Is, you know, is that problem worse on the left or the right side? You know, how did that come to be it was a very different world and uh, i did homeopathy clinic under a guy called keith abadissian who's a very good homeopath down in uh, chatswood in sydney and um you know i had a difficult time uh observing it um i'll, I'll give you an example one day a uh, person came into the clinic with uh, celiac disease and had uh, obvious signs of celiac disease so melina blood in the stools um, mucus in the stools um epigastric pain bloating a lot of the things you'd expect to see in celiac disease um, newly diagnosed, and so there's me as like the budding naturopathy student. You know, this is 20 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. In the room, you know, writing down everything this person should avoid and what a gluten-free diet should look like, and and the like. And Keith quizzes me, you know, what is it you're doing, Shannon? I said, well, you know, <laughs> what are you missing, Keith? You know, and told him all about celiac disease, to which he you know, well knew about it. I was, yeah, I'm sure I was a smart-ass student, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they gave treatment uh, based upon the observable symptoms they found using similars and uh, this person, every single symptom went away and they still ate gluten. So, you know, I'm the one that throws the fucking textbook on the floor. I'm like, fuck yeah. this, this is shit, you know, and <laughs> I didn't go back again. Yeah. Um, however, you know, on my my podcast, one of the first people that I interviewed was George Dimitriatis. I remember that, yeah. Who's one of the better homeopaths in the world and uh, that was the reason for me interviewing him, you know. Um, That's interesting because my wife studies homeopathy and yep. uh, I remember we, when we first come back to Australia from England and we took my daughter to the doctor. Yep. She was six, right? And the doctor said, oh, where's her doctor's note? And my wife said, she's never been to a doctor. And he said, what do you mean she's never been to a doctor? So, well, I've just treated it with homeopathy and Australian bushflower remedies. And um, this doctor couldn't believe that this child had never actually seen a doctor other than at her birth. Mm. And she'd never been sick because as she got sick, they, as you said, like they they look at what's actually causing it, where it is, and then look at similars and make it fit and fix Mm. it. And all my kids are are brought up that way. Yeah. I'm a true believer. Yeah, well, you know, as am I. I don't force my belief on others. And I, mean, um, yep. I know that the uh, the world out there is quite anti-homeopathy, but I'll put to anyone listening that the world is anti-homeopathy because they don't fucking understand it. That's <laughs> it's it very, very true. To, very, you know? very true. Um, so why naturopathy then? Well, uh, so you're a big fan of homeopathy, I'd, I'd but seen, you went naturopathy. Yeah, I'd seen naturopath for a long time. I'm all. I'm also very um, sort of science validated. Okay. You know, I do enjoy science. I understand science. Um, is that I'm, because it's a, a easier because there is a scientific? Not when I don't mean easier, as in it's easier to explain or with, to a patient. Yeah, in part. Yeah. yeah, absolutely in part, for sure. You know, and, and I, I use homeopathy now, but I, I use homeopathy more as an underlying constitutional treatment protocol okay. rather than an acute treatment protocol, Yeah, if you know what I'm saying. So 
for me, it's always about being able to deal with uh, why it is a person sitting in front of you, uh, the way you have a healthy business like mine, the way you make money like I have as a naturopath is you get results and you get them now. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've always done that. However, in establishing and identifying and subsequently treating a root cause, that's where I always use homeopathy. I believe homeopathy to be the answer to establishing root cause. It's like the only of the modalities which addresses the whole person, the sum of oneself. So, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a massive fan. So, yeah, I, I, I would say I dabble in it. Um, yep. uh, I've got homeopathic treatment kits in my caravan that I travel with. Yep. Um, you know, I can treat pretty much anything of my kids. I only treat my kids homeopathically. Yeah. Uh, I take a lot of risks with my children that other people wouldn't be comfortable taking. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing with homeopathy. You yeah. know, uh, I'll let fever run its course, you know. Uh, I'll, I'll use specific... I'll let it out of the system. I'll use specific remedies at specific points. Sometimes I'll suppress with Nurofen and, and paracetamol if absolutely necessary, i.e. the child's delirious, exhausted, hasn't slept, whatever is necessary. Yeah. So I'm a massive fan of pharmacology. I'm a big fan of doctors. Uh, I work with lots of doctors. Um, I rely on pharmacology a lot of the time for people uh, in acute presentations for various things, prednisones and, and the like that sometimes will just give quality of life. I'm a quality of life provider. That's what it's all about. So when someone it's wants to It's a good title get, now. You could yeah. be, that's what you should call yourself. Well, why not? So yeah, <laughs> when someone needs to be well and needs to be well now, for me, yeah. I've got this great catalogue of, of substances that I can use, everything from a dietary change right through to you know, prednisone as an example. And, you know, um, a, there's always going to be a preferable end when people are going to get uh, a fast result with less likelihood of, uh, of side effects and symptoms and therein lies the problem with hardcore pharmaceutical medications there's no such thing as a safe one yeah. they all have a side effects as long as you're armed and uh, it's about making sure we manage their use uh, very much so so you went to uni we you did all these courses yep. and then you come out and yep. you're now a, a naturopath a dietitian and, yep. and all the other qualifications yep do you go and get a job or do you open your own business or what's what's next? Um, I, I always wanted to practice. So yeah. out of all the people that I graduated with, there's only been a very, very small handful, like more than more than one hand who ever went into private practice. Oh, wow. Private practice as a naturopath for a lot of people is a, is a good way to fail in yep. your career. Um, uh, not, a, not enough of them understand business. I was going to say because they haven't got the business now. Yeah, if you a lot like. of the time. Yeah. So um, we – I wanted to practice. That's what I wanted to do, but I wanted to make money as well. So I started a practice from home. I lived at North of Oak at the time and bought my first house, uh, put a uh, clinic. Uh, How down. old are we now? Well, I graduated when I was 25, 26, 26. Uh, I think 26. What am I now? 42. Yeah. 18 years. Something like that. Anyway, yeah. I would have been 25, 26. And, um, so I graduated. Uh, I had a very difficult time uh, getting money to set a dispensary up. I went and got a uh, my first credit card for two thousand yeah. dollars. Got all the smaller size bottles I could possible for a herbal dispensary. Set everything up how I needed it, and opened a practice from home. And uh, it boomed very quickly. I, uh, I had a young girl, my very first case, a young girl with uh, very severe eczema, uh, very obviously severe eczema all up her face, in her hair, yeah. behind her ear, all over her body. It was a, probably still one of the worst cases I've treated of eczema. And um, I treated this girl and uh, she had phenomenal results inside a fortnight, like phenomenal. So wow. from there, of course, mum, what do mums do? Mums tell all, get around. Mum tells the other mums at school and then I've got every single kid with eczema coming to see me. So I sort of, I, I made my inroads with skin and skin's a really hard thing to treat and most practitioners will shy away from skin. Skin's a very sensitive organ to the uh, the shortcomings of the rest of the organism. So mm-hmm. skin's very sensitive to what's happening in the rest of the body. So treating skin. 
asking it's not as uh it's not as deliberate as just you know giving a cream or or, or giving something that'll work to reduce inflammation or allergy per se uh it's about looking at you know once again the whole person the environment their stress levels all different sorts of factors including food of course so um i was fortunate to sort of set up in a place where not a lot of other prackies wanted to work um, yeah. i was getting some good early um uh, results with people and as you know word of mouth travels faster oh, than anything especially on the central coast correct yep so um, that was where it went from there we opened up four health food stores uh, within um, well, how long about three years and were you married at this stage um, when did you meet your I beautiful married? wife yeah I, I got married no I got married at 28 I think okay well together then I've been with Michelle for 20 years now yep. um, but uh, I ended up uh, locuming for Tony Miller, who's a very famous uh, iridologist in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a uh, health food store and a very, very busy practice. Uh, I went and did some clinic hours with her. She offered me a job straight away. Uh, every time she was in the States or Europe or anywhere doing um, uh, presentations, I'd locum for her. Uh, that went extremely well. Her patient base was happy to see me. They could yeah. re- remember now. As a matter of fact, I was 24. Sorry, I remember okay. now. I was a 24-year-old young man who was very passionate about the female reproductive system, <laughs> um, surprisingly. And um, But uh, I had a real flair for it. And I, But I knew young, though, on, if I was going to do well, I had to prove myself very, very quickly yes. because you got one shot. You know, you got a woman 25, 30, 35 coming in with endometriosis or something like that. She needs to feel comfortable. She needs to feel led and safe like right now and she needs to get results quickly. So uh, so I'm sitting here looking at you now. You're a fit bastard, right? Like you, You've got muscles and places that I didn't know you could grow muscles. Were you like that back then? So yeah, there's good looking young black muscly. Not sitting. at that point. Okay. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. so they're not intimidated. When I, when I intimidate, I mean like they're about to tell you their utmost secrets about their well, reproductive yeah, parts. Yeah, I, I guess what made... Uh, everything more tangible for me was when I was 19, um, this is at a time when this didn't, didn't even exist, but I got chronic fatigue syndrome for five years from wow. 19 to 24. So when I came out at 24 and I actually started practicing, um, you know, I'd, I'd got down to, you know, very, very early 60 kilos. Now, I looked like an AIDS patient. Hadn't had a solid shit for three or four <laughs> years. Skin breaking out. Lost half my friends. No self confidence. I was a very confident dude. So when I was young, yeah, I, I had the good body and I trained. And yeah. I've been in gyms now for twenty four odd years. You know, so for me it was like back then it wasn't the cool thing to do. No, of no course. one trained. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, I trained because I loved it. My wife's uh, of the similar vein. That's always just been a passion of mine. But um, by the time I first started practicing, two great things had happened. The first one was I developed a deep sense of empathy because I'd just been dragged over the fucking rocks yep. hard. And I was a very, very confident guy, um, you know, never understood suicide. Like, how can someone kill it? When we're doing like yeah. yippee, for instance, like, how do people get to that point? <laughs> yeah. And I got to that point with chronic fatigue where I just thought if my life, if it's going to keep being like this, I, I don't know if I want to be here anymore. And there was never any, like, necessarily suicidal ideation. I didn't plan anything. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to die. I love life. Do you know what I mean? But – uh, I'd really walked, I'd walked in those shoes. So by the time uh, I came out and started practicing, people were getting me in a very raw position yeah. um, where I'd been stripped back. I, I knew what, um, you know, um, dysfunction felt like. Um, I knew what fatigue felt like. And I think that that empathy was uh, something that which was which was tangible for my patient base. They knew it. So and that's still critical to your business now. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you well, know what? To life, I, really. I still consult now because I love it. Yeah. You know, I've got other businesses make me more money, but I consult because I love it, and yeah. I consult because it keeps me grounded and it keeps me on the level of people. Uh, when I do one on ones, I'm very, very in tune with where people are and and what people need based upon what's happening in the world. Yeah. But don't consult. 
oh yeah, I miss out on that, you know, and, and it's almost like uh, nothing else makes sense. So yeah, we built um, some really good practices. My wife was studying at this point. She actually left graphic design. She was in a third year of graphic design at Newcastle Uni. She left that to become a naturopath as well. Oh, really? Yep. Um, so she ended up studying. She she was a year behind me. So I ran this first clinic for a year, grew that business 30% the first 12 months, uh, worked very hard on supply relations, got, you know, a bit of discounts for all our brands and Went to the GoVita Awards that year, won pretty much every award there. Walter, I don't know if the store's ever done it before, but we, <laughs> we took out pretty much every supplier award, every branding award. It was it was a really good year. So we, we knew we had uh, we had feet there. Yep. Uh, my old man had just uh, herniated his disc uh, in his back, uh, that typical little four or five S1 thing everyone yeah. likes to do. Uh, he was a concreter, and uh, so they backed me. So, you know, the story was, well, if you guys want to throw in and get this going on, um, we'll run the businesses and Rick won't have to work again. So yeah. at that point, Rick did retire. Uh, we opened up four four stores in uh, in about three years. They're all on the Central Coast? All of them, yep. yeah. And um, pumped the shit out of them for 14 years. Nice. You know, and, and, and had very, very good clinics and had extremely uh, profitable retail stores. And then uh, I got out of the retail um, opened up a facility, bought a big facility in King Kamba, put an organic paleo cafe in there. A full, Great facility too. What full a good full gym in there and a big multidisciplinary practice and got all my, my favourite prackies in there working with me and um, that was really good. And that was where I was until um, this next phase of my life uh, kicked over. Which we're going to go into in a sec. You're a product formulator. One of the things I want to know about is like PSC supplements. Yep. When did that happen and why? PC supplements, I've just shut down. Uh, I've kept my hero product, uh, but please don't charge. Correct. Yeah, Yeah, but please understand that um, that business only ever came to be to satisfy my own professional requirements for my patient base. Yeah. That was it. So at that time, I've been formulating for about 11 years now, and so I'd formulate for other companies. Um, So always looking for new raws and um, specific phytonutrients, ingredients, looking for trends in the States, a lot of time in the States. Uh, at trade shows and things, and uh, I would uh, formulate for various companies on, in the marketplace. They'd bring them out, they'd make money, and it was all the way it was. That felt good to me, Brett, because um, you know anyone out there listening that's walked into like a sport nutrition store, yeah. for instance, understand you you pretty much get sold the home brand these days. You know, so there's been this uh, sort of communication for me, which was always, uh, and look, those guys weren't in play at the time. You know, what I mean, like it wasn't the way it is right now. The internet wasn't like it is I'm talking dial-up days so yep. we, we didn't have all the parallel import and all the big American pre-workouts and things here but um, at that time I was looking for products for my patient base who had problems so you know scleroderma and lupus and thyroid dramas and the like and I didn't want to give them uh, what was currently available chock full of sucralose and sulfate and potassium all these you know artificial sweeteners and things so I bought a product to market, which was World Class Way, which was the first product that I ever did, um, pretty much just to satisfy my ability to give my patient base what I want them to have. You did it for others. Well, all for others, yeah. yeah. But, that's but, what I'm saying. That's the top bloke you are, though, because had, it wasn't good enough out there. No, so you've right. gone and created that. So I produced So then you the can do it for others. Correct. Yeah. And it's the main reason why I'm not doing it now. Mm-hmm. And people, seriously, you got no idea the money I've knocked back. I have people ring me every week, oh, we want to buy – whole bunch more of your protein, so I'm not doing it anymore. I could easy do a run. I could do a run tomorrow, right? Yeah. But my passion's not there. And the the industry's grown so large now. Yeah. There's so many other players out there doing now what I did first. Yeah. Maybe let it be. As long as the market's saturated with the right kind of product that I can say, hey, go and buy that brand yeah, now. Then that's, that's all fun. I care about. You yeah. know, I'm always looking at the 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 one percenters. I'm looking at that next phase. Uh, what what are sort of critical discoveries in formulation that, that, that aren't everywhere right now? 
So that, that's what floats my boat. But um, yeah, And so, that's something you've obviously moved into now with Keto Industries. Yeah, I have. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and ha- ha- no free ads on this podcast, but yeah. Keto Industries. <laughs> You're bringing it up. I'll tell you my story. Yeah. I started Keto with the Keto Industries product six weeks ago. Yeah. I've lost 7.8 kilos. I've Boy. lost seven and a half centimetres off my guts. Good. And that all comes down to intermittent fasting. Yep. So I, I don't eat between 12 midnight and – oh, sorry, 8 p.m. and 12 the next day. Yeah. And uh, and have my kiddos of a morning. And um, I don't eat a ketogenic diet, though. Yep. I had pizza yesterday. Yeah. I, I eat whatever I feel like for yeah, lunch or dinner. fasting and using exogenous ketones yeah. to keep you topped up. And yep. and to me, it's been insane. Like, I've done lots of yo-yo diets. I've, I've come to see you and you've helped me out. We've done this. This is the best thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah. And – I find that, and this all come off the back of me messaging you on Messenger saying, should I do this? Yeah, go for your life. Should, what, yep. What's this intermittent fasting thing? And that's the sort of stuff I mentioned earlier about things that you've changed in my life, which um, which is just really simple, basic stuff, yep. but you've done it for others again. And then, yeah, it makes your money. Hope it does. Hope it makes you a billionaire. But Ooh, Me too. <laughs> but no. it's keto. <laughs> Tell me about Keto Industries. What's the story there? Well, I guess if we start with where your story just ended, uh, I, I remember you you um, touched base with me about Prove It, which is you know, the, the multi-level marketing yep. exogenous keto most people would be aware of. I remember you hit me up about Prove It a couple of years back. Yeah, and you was, were like, yeah. mate, you know, uh, tell me about this, whatever. And I said, look, Brett, um, I'm bringing it out on a private label at some point. I take time with things. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And the reason I take time with things, particularly with that, um, I've used the ketogenic diet for 18 years in practice, very, very successfully with the right kinds of people. And demographics are very important when it comes to dietary prescription. Certain people do very, very well for ketogenic living um, and certain people don't do well for ketogenic living. And, and it's about knowing uh, that variable and, and who it's going to work for and who it's not. But um, I had a phone call, it would be two and a half years ago now, from Luke McNally, who was the uh, the founder and owner of Mass Nutrition. So yep. 44 Mass Nutrition stores at the time. They were you know, the, the, the big brand. You know, Luke's had some uh, some uh, tragic life events that have landed him in jail these days. Um, but uh, Luke's a very, very good formulator, uh, a bit of a mad scientist in many ways, yeah. uh, which was part of his demise. But uh, Luke rang me up and he said, mate, Patrick Arnold has synthesized BHB, which is beta-hydroxybutyrate, uh, into a supplement. And I just couldn't fathom. I still, I still remember I was in I had a house in Erinna Valley and taking my bin out. It's like a Wednesday night, you know what <laughs> I mean? And I sat there, I put my bin out, and I sat there and I said, Say that again, Luke. And he said, Patrick Arnold synthesized BHB. It's, it's going to be a, a supplement. He said, you'll be able to take this stuff in a drink and drink it and induce ketosis within 30 minutes of ingestion. Now, you got to understand from my head, from a clinical head, this takes me four to seven days to induce this for someone yeah. generally, right? And generally, you're wanting to induce it for a specific reason. And, and if you want to know more, I'll get to the differences between the two. However, um, it just made my head spin and I had so many questions from this point. Like, what does this mean now if you take BHB? <laughs> What's it going to do to the to your carbohydrate metabolism? What happens to the rest of your body? I, I couldn't fathom it. I couldn't work it out. So I went and did a whole bunch of research. Uh, there was no proof in the country at the time. Yep. They, they were kicking off in uh, in America. In US, yep. And uh, and we're doing a good job. And of course, like any multi-level marketing scheme does, these people uh, know how to market. Yeah, they they get shit running full time. So by the time it hits Australia, it's really gone hard. But like MLM seems to do, it kind of has some people sitting on one side of the fence, and others very much on the polar opposite. Someone uh, sitting on the pile of cash, and the others not getting anywhere near. Yeah, and, and often quite cranky about it. So yeah, anyway, look, I've spent uh, a very long time defending um, the ketogenic diet, defending poor old doc. 
Dr. Atkins, who's yeah. absolutely been fucking flogged over the years. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, kudos a bit of a uh, bit of a fad word now. Um, um, I've uh, started Kudo Industries with a couple of my industry partners. Um, mm. So we take care of the whole process from manufacture right up to the retail point, which is good. So for me, it was important that we could control that I whole think process. I was actually in it, which Everything. is a big difference, yeah. Yeah, so we're the, we're the the only Australian licensees for Compound Solutions and Compound Solutions are the worldwide distributor of Go BHB and Go MCT, which is the Patrick Arnold synthesized <laughs> BHB. From and two and a half years ago when you're putting your bin out. all that, exactly yeah. right. So, you know, we did all our due diligence and reached out to Compound and uh, we've got a very good relationship with them um most people have probably heard of dom diagostino these days who's sort of the king professor the the associate professor at tampa uh, university over there in florida he's sort of the keto king uh he does a lot of the research his name's on the patent for the product as well so okay. you know we distribute the product directly from these guys um australia under private label now which is keto industries ketoindustries.com.au and um there's that free ad but that's that fine i'll ad. give you I'll, that one yeah, just so people know so yeah we, <laughs> you know we've got all the, the scientific validation and stuff on the on the website people can learn more without me having to bore them with it right now so the bit the, i don't understand i did the atkins diet years ago and lost a shit ton of weight really quickly and it was like dr atkins and everyone's going you can't just eat steak and eggs and at the time that's all i was eating yep. and um and, all that, and I, uh, atkins has been smashed for years but it took, as you say, seven days to get into ketosis. Yeah. I can now have this drink and I'm in ketosis in half an hour. Correct. How's that work? Well, you're putting... Not you, too deep. How's no, it work? No, you, you, you're putting <laughs> yeah. that ketone body into your bloodstream. Oh, okay. So that's why you go into ketosis. And this is what a lot of people miss the point or misinterpret the whole idea of exogenous ketones. And look, I want to start by saying... Uh, Exogenous ketones have a time and a place. Yeah, you know, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not, not for a, everyone. I'm obviously. not a supplement pusher. I manufacture yeah, yeah, and formulate, course. but you know they, they've got to be supplementing an appropriate regime. I'll get to the who and the why in a minute. But basically, when you drink beta hydroxybutyrate, you're drinking what your liver would normally produce through the oxidation or the breakdown of fatty acids. Okay, so how's that good for me then? If I'm putting that in my body, well, I'll I'll tell you what happens. A couple of things happen when you go on a nutritional ketosis. So you either heavily carbohydrate restrict or you go onto a fast fasting protocol, not intermittent fasting. I'm talking proper fasting, so like not eating for a handful of days. The body goes through uh, various phases of energy metabolism. So it goes through a thing called um, glycogenolysis. It breaks your glycogen down from uh, from your liver and your skeletal tissue back into blood sugar, drives energy metabolism. It goes into gluconeogenesis. It will break protein down. It'll break anything down. It's almost like a scavenging process to produce glucose. So once once everything's exhausted and the body's in a state where those carbohydrate stores are not there any longer, Longer, it goes into the state of ketosis where the body will break down fat. And this is the key word for people because everyone loves weight loss, right? So yeah, the, yeah. the body will tap into stored fat on your body. It will liberate those fatty acids. It will run those fatty acids through a variety of different um, carnitine shuttles and different ways of producing energy. And then in the liver, it will convert uh, to ketones and those ketones can cross the blood-brain barrier and, and allow the body to produce cellular energy or ATP. So at the end of the day, ATP fuels our body. It keeps us functional. It keeps us moving. And uh, ATP metabolism can come from very various different places come from glucose, come from protein, come from fat and come from ketone bodies. So when you are not on a nutritional ketosis and you just drink an exogenous ketone, you're putting essentially a fourth macronutrient into your bloodstream, which is functional now, which can be used now. So the body will use it to produce energy 
it produces ATP with far lower levels of oxidative uh, stress. So every time you produce a, a gram, for instance, of ATP, you're producing reactive oxygen species as a side effect. And these reactive oxygen species can have um, oxidative effects on your body and cause you know, degradation of, of tissue. So, so it's better for me to do it this it way produces, than the other way? It produces a far cleaner form of energy. Okay? okay, So it's producing more ATP per gram than glucose, but it's doing it with less oxidative stress. Okay, so okay. taking stress is not good for anyone. Hence, hence why it's very, uh, and it's becoming very, very, very important in clinical conditions like Parkinson's disease and dementia and the like, because its ability to cross the blood-brain barrier and fuel the brain without producing these reactive oxygen species is a very, very important um, process in these um these certain disease states very very good in things like adhd and autism and the like its effect on the brain is significant so uh, i watched a movie the other day called the magic pill which your mate um paleo pete's on which you're interviewing next week you mentioned earlier and that's unbelievable everyone should watch this movie on netflix called called the magic pill yeah it's the magic pill and it's all about the ketogenic diet and about this young girl who couldn't even talk. And by the end of the six-week period, she was actually making sound. She was a completely different child just yep. because of that. Yeah. Um, I find it ridiculously good how coherent I am after I have this stuff. Cognitively, it's very good. you know, and, and it does the same thing um, as what you know, exercise does. It does the same thing as what fasting does. So it's, it's essentially a biohack. I hate that term. Yeah, I hate everyone looking for a fast way of fucking doing something, but that, that's essentially what it is. So when you exercise or when you calorically um, deplete yourself, the body increases a thing called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It increases you know, memory and cognition, essentially, and recall. Uh, when you have an exogenous ketone, you increase brain-derived neurotrophic factor, same as you do with anaerobic and aerobic exercise, same as you do with fasting. So it allows you to biohack that. So, you know, would I give exogenous ketones to someone who's training really well, who's got, you know, um, you know perfect levels of body fat and body composition? Would I give it to people who uh, are intermittent fasting and doing it really well? And feel- no, I wouldn't. That's, yeah. not, that's not the market, you know. The, you taught someone like you, right? Someone very attractive. Yeah, very attractive man. That's right. A couple of extra, <laughs> Quite large. A couple of extra kegs around the, uh, around around the, the waist. Around the belly, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, the thing that I worked out as a practitioner, and, you know, what, it's a very uh, disappointing reality, I must say. I don't like to admit to it, but you've got all these uh, you wannabe heroes on social media, particularly all these, you know, influencers, for want of a better term, who are all, you know, down on, you know, the ketogenic diet and down on exogenous ketones. And it's funny that here you sit saying, mate, I've lost seven kilos and I've done this and I've done that. And that's exactly the juxtaposition here. They, they don't understand anyone outside of their gym rat exactly. you know, mentality. The average person, rather than me being able to stick them on a diet and make everything okay, they won't do that. No. They're depressed, they're fat, they're inflamed, they're fucked most of the time. Yep. You know? So where exogenous ketones have a very, very, very important place is in those people that otherwise would not do anything. Yeah. You know? So I see them as a bridge per se where you can actually get people feeling better. Like, have you ever dealt with brain fog before? Yeah. You know, you, you get someone who's got like, let's say a condition like fibromyalgia, okay, mm-hmm. where something like brain fog is paramount. Like, it's and you horrible. can't think, you don't know where you put yeah. your phone. You give these people 12 grams of BHB a day for a week, they're feeling better. Now that person starts to feel better, starts to think better, starts to produce more energy, starts to feel a bit less inflamed in their body things. What do you think it does to their self-belief oh, and motivation man. and attitude? It builds it. Unbelievable. So I can now take that person and I can say, oh, that's really cool. We might use that for six weeks as the bridge. Yep. And at that point, I'm going to pull you off this shit. We're going to do it all through nutritional intervention. Yep. We're going to do it the right way. We're going to get you moving. 
They're not going to move. They can't move. No, you know, exactly. Because they're in such a state of no, I was like that. dysfunction. Seriously, I was like that. I was a big boy. I was 121 kilos. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, something's got to happen here. I was going to the gym. Nothing was working. Yep. I've started this. It's working. I'm going to the gym more. Yep. I'm now getting fitter. Perfect. I'm starting boxing and all this sort of stuff. And the thing is, I see it like that. I see it as this thing. I want to go here. You are one of the smartest fuckers that I know, right? You say lots of really big words. When we had that conversation about prove it, two years ago, odd, you said, oh, have I told you I'm selling everything and packing up and jumping in a caravan and travelling around Australia? And I went, huh? <laughs> <laughs> You've got this awesome facility at King Combo. You're helping all these people. I was reading before 2,400 people a week, a month, month. a year, year, whatever. A whatever year, that figure was, yeah, right. So a lot of people you're helping. And now you're going to sell it all, pack it all up, jump in a caravan and go around Australia. You're nuts. Even worse, you've got three little kids. Yeah. I was uninspired. What and happened? That was the reason? Yeah, I was just uninspired, mate. You know, I, I live my life through inspiration. You know, yep. There's two ways you live life. One's through inspiration, one's through memory. Oh, you keep doing the same fucking thing you've been doing. Yeah. And that's okay if that works for you. Uh, I'm very much an inspired person. I need to be inspired. I need to feel inspired. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Um, I just lost that. You know, I was tired. Um, I, I noticed for the first time in, a, in, a, in, a, in as many years that – the work was fatiguing me now. You know, mm-hmm. I'd get sort of four or five patients into a day and I'm like, oh, fuck, I've got four or five more. You know, like, <laughs> what am I'm I going to do? This. Yeah. yeah, and it wasn't yeah, It wasn't that I was over. I still enjoyed it and I still really enjoy that. Like, I've just went back to the Central Coast for three weeks and consulted full-time back there, you know, <laughs> like, uh, just because they're all my old people and I wanted yep. to see them, you know. So I put a thing out on social media saying I was back for a few weeks just visiting and Booked out. just worked the whole time. <laughs> um, but I just found I, I, was, I was just – yeah, I was just getting tired from it. And I, I, you know what the big thing was? I forget who it was now, but I saw someone. Um, let's use Pete Evans as an example. Yeah. It wasn't Pete Evans. But it was someone like him, you know, three or four years ago. And I saw this person go on television on like uh, Koshy's morning show or something and do a five-minute slot. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, I've treated kind of 65, 68,000 people now one-on-one, right? And everyone's like, oh, fuck, that's a lot of people. And I think, you know what? That bloke there just influenced more lives in five <laughs> minutes on telly yep. than I've done in my full 17 years sitting on this seat, you know, and that was where I was like, nah, <laughs> there's got to be more, you know, I've got to be able to move away from this. It was also at a time when my wife was very sick. She had a very rare, uh, largely antibiotic uh, resistant form of pneumonia, um, end glandular fever. So at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Like one wow. of the worst bacterial infections and the worst viral infection. Yeah. Uh, and it floored her for pretty much an entire 12-month period. And uh, like so many of us idiots that need to learn our life lessons through disease, um, you know, that was one of the big things that for us was like, nah, you know, what we're doing is not working. We need yeah. to take some responsibility for this. Uh, and life, we just settled too much into the norm. You know, it was me dropping the kids to school and daycare, me going to consult. I had shorter days now because I had to do the school run at half past two, so yeah. I couldn't consult right through. Michelle's at home in bed with fevers. And we just got to that point. We thought, nah, <laughs> this isn't real good, you know. So uh, Michelle had always wanted to uh, explore other places. Um, as she says, she didn't want to live and die on the Central Coast. And uh, As we all said. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, and I was very happy there, mate. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a homebody, you know. Yeah. Like, I had a, like you said, I had a good practice. I had lots of money. I, I you know, just had a house on the beach before that. I just yeah. sold it. All the toys. Had no reason to go anywhere, um, but yeah, at that point it was this lack of inspiration. I think it's hence why it was so shocking for like a lot of people. And yeah. I remember I said to you, "So what are you going to live in?" And you go, "I've just bought a caravan. Yeah. What? Just like a little four bed? Yeah. What's your caravan like? How big is it? Yeah, it's twenty one foot. 
Yeah, three three bunks and a bed, but well, uh, it's a big big van. It's a good van, yeah. It's a good van, and we're at the, I actually just bought a thirty two foot caravan. Oh, yeah. I love I love. I still remember this comment. Have you ever towed a caravan? No, no. no. <laughs> I, I never towed a box trailer, Brett. I actually got a buddy of mine who had a car trailer. He's got like an old Datsun. He races down at Eastern Creek. Yeah. And I borrowed his uh, Nissan Navara Ute and his box trailer just to <laughs> just to practice reverse parking about three days before I left. So now I had this 15 and a half meter rig, but uh, but I'm confident, you know, and I was yeah. all good. And I'm a confident driver. I knew I'd, I knew I'd be okay. You work it out. But I'll tell you what was cool about the trip for me. Um, you know, I, I'd be. It's not was, it still is. Well, it still is, yeah. yeah. But it's just life now. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel like a trip anymore. But when we first left, I was actually excited by the idea of being a man. I was excited, you know, like. And you start to towing. That's what fucking. That's what men yeah, do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I sat in a clinic, mate. You know, and, and treated people and did like blood analysis and things. You know, it was all yep. very clinical. Um, whereas you know, now I had the chance to actually like fix problems with a shifter. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I wasn't. I'm not that kind of man. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm the sort of bloke that uh, your fly screen comes off the tracks at home. You, you call someone to come yeah. and put it back on. I was pretty useless. I'm that type of man. Got that from my yeah. stepfather, Rick, who's also a bit useless. <laughs> so I never had a good male influence in my life to help me do shit. So I was kind of excited to actually get out there and have a go at just doing some stuff, do you know what I mean? And having some problems and learning to fix it. And and I knew that the first park I got to where I had a, a critical or difficult reverse park, I'd just crack a beer and I'd figure it out with some grey nomad next exactly, to me. Exactly, yeah. And I'd get the bastard in there. If it wasn't five minutes, it was 50 minutes, but yeah. I, had, I had time. I bought my time back, Brett. Yeah. That's what it and came down to. Time, time is way more important than money. I had lots of money, mate, but I was working 60-hour weeks, do you know? Mm. And uh, now for the last two and a half years, I haven't worked more than three hours a week any week. Here I am with you now, you know, like on two o'clock on a Friday. Uh, I should be practicing now. I'm not. I'm talking to you instead. So uh, it was sort of my goal. And I am a, I am a, a good communicator and yep. I enjoy education. So for me, it was about getting out, uh, mixing with different people, uh, doing my podcast, telling some stories that I was passionate about. And, uh, and let- more importantly, your wife got better. She got better. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? When you got her out of that environment, yep. and obviously there was other reasons she got better, but you got her out of that environment, she then moved like, how far have you travelled? Have, have you measured K's yet? Well, I bought a, a, a new Land Cruiser. And yeah, it's just, when you started? It's just done 83,000. There we go. It's not so, a bad little trip, is it? Yeah. So I remember saying, how long are you do this for? Oh, we'll start with six months. We'll see how we go from there. And what do we had two and a half years later? Oh, people, people, <laughs> uh, friends of mine, if you'd call them that, take out uh, bets apparently on how oh, long really? it last. Yeah. So a lot of broke people out there now. So, yeah. But, <laughs> you know what? I took to it like a like a duck to water. Yeah. Uh, I didn't watch telly for four months. Um I just reveled in sitting under an awning, uh, looking up at the stars. Uh, I'm quite a spiritual type like that. Uh, walking, beaches, surfing, hanging out. But I, I struggled for six months. So I struggled with guilt. I struggled with shame. Um, you know, just, the not, unwinding, isn't it? I remember I come back from London, tough. and Australia and Queensland's a lot slower than London is. And it took me must have been two years, I reckon, to yep. unwind to get back onto like to the coast feel, if you like. Yeah. But well, you've taken that now to the extreme. Yeah. We're, we're like that unwinding and now you're the most relaxed bloke on the planet. Pretty chilled now. It's been good for me. Yeah, uh, I am definitely. a bit of an uptight you know, um, sort of high achiever. So uh, it has been very good for me to sit back and smell those roses and uh, to be able to put my energy and my effort into my family uh, at what I would consider a very pivotal time with five, seven definitely. and nine-year-olds. I know that uh, Michelle and I will look back uh, as we do now, but I know we'll look back when we're old and grey and so that was the best thing we ever did. Mate, your kids will do the same thing, you know, yeah. without doubt. Yeah. So the kids get taught in the caravan? How does yeah. that work? So Billy starts school next year. Um, so not him, but the two girls, are, uh, we school them. Yeah, Michelle does the bulk of all that. Yeah. Um, I like the wee bit. We, yeah. We school them. Yeah, we, yeah. we do school them. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, yeah we've got a very uh, 
you know, uh, everyone does everything type relationship. Yep. You know, uh, Michelle and I have got a, a rule that no one rests until the work's done. So yeah, cool. it doesn't really matter who's involved. But Michelle does the bulk of that because while she's doing that, I'm doing consults or, yeah. you know, editing a podcast or something, you know. So, but uh, she does the bulk of it. Uh, I also help out. But, um, yeah, it's good. So they're schooled through Cairns Distance Education. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you think of the uh, distance education piece? Right. Yeah, really good. I think yeah. that's why all kids should learn personally. It's very good. Yeah. yeah, and you know what, my my kids, their their floor and fauna knowledge would be better than yours. Yeah, uh, they've dived every reef in Australia. They've they've climbed every rock, you know, Cradle Mountain, Ayers Rock, you, you name it. Yeah, yeah they've done it. Uh, and uh, their skills, you know, my my son doesn't know anything else. He's just about to turn five next week on yeah. Monday, and um, he's been in a caravan since he was two. He doesn't know otherwise. No, you know? exactly. Um, so they've got that, plus they get the academia, and I'm very grateful. But what I'm more grateful is is that my kids don't know what an iPad is. Yeah. Uh, and I've been very mindful to keep them away from technology. Um, there's a shitload I like about technology, and there's an awful lot that I think is taking away from society, mm-hmm. getting these poor dopamine-dependent children, um, yeah. you know, that in the next 10 to 15 years you're going to have a whole bunch of children that just don't know how to cope in life. Mm. Uh, chronic depression and stuff is going to escalate, and uh, people are getting worse. You're going to have to go back to. in the clinic. Well, I won't stop, that's for sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's 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 a bit of a frightening realisation. I, I look at my kids, not saying mine are better, but uh, maybe I am. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> comparing my kids just with, with kids of similar ages who come into caravan parks on the weekend and we're seeing you know, eight, nine-year-olds with phones. Yeah, you know, like my, ridiculous. My nine-year-old looks at me almost like, what's going on, Dad? How come that kid's got a phone? Do you know where's, what I mean? Where's the 50 cents to put in the one at the shops, Dad? Yeah, they come yeah. away for the weekend on their Nintendo, and, yeah. you know, and they'll, or they'll bring the PlayStation away for two nights in a and caravan My favourite time of the year, we go camping at Christmas. Yep. There's no technology at all and your phones don't work. Yep. Oh, it's heaven. I bet everyone's better for it. Oh, yeah, without doubt. Everyone without connects. Doubt. Everyone plays a bit of like beach cricket or something. Yeah, exactly. We play cards yeah. and things like or Scrabble or whatever. Yep. It, it's interesting because we were saying, my wife and myself the other week, about how spoiled our kids are. And I looked at her and said, that "Yours? Am I drinking your water?" No, that's your water. Oh, these are good. I haven't yeah. had any. Yet. I'm good. But um, yeah, and we said how spoiled our kids are. And we both looked at each other and said, "That's our fault. Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent our fault." Yeah. And I see someone like yourself done that, and mate, I'm envious. I really am. Mm. The other question I got for you is, what's it done for you and your missus? Yeah. Are you closer together? Yeah, our marriage is uh, as good as it's ever been. Yep. But uh, what I will say, um, like we're best friends, and mm. and for us. You, you can put us in a tin shed, we're happy, you know. So to yeah. put us in a 21-foot box, it's neither here nor there. People say all the time, particularly to Michelle, how do you handle being with your husband all the time? <laughs> I'd want to kill him, you know. But um, we genuinely enjoy each other's time. Uh, and that's the one thing that uh, is starting to get to us now. With the kids getting a bit older and the school getting a little bit more full on, uh, we have a very difficult time just having our own time. That would be our difficulty now. Yeah. Um, because, you know, do you think? Two it's and not a, like you've got a babysitter or anything. Two and a half years, Brett. No school, no mm. daycare, no time off, 24-7. So a lot of time with children. What caravanning does do is it brings out more of what's already there. That's so when you, say, when you say to me, what's been flat for your marriage? Well, our marriage has blossomed because it was already very good. It was good, good beforehand, yeah. You get, yeah, we've also, however, seen a handful of marriages break up on the road. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, it'll bring out the anxieties. Yeah, or, or not even shit. It might be the fact that like he's a diesel mechanic and, and she's a primary school teacher and they're just used to having their own time, yeah. seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day, and then come back and talk about their day and do all that kind of shit. And that's just the way things are. Now you stick him in the caravan and he doesn't go anywhere and she doesn't go anywhere and no one's fulfilling a purpose or destiny. No one's feeling directed in who and what they are. And then it starts to bring up all these inferiorities and scarcities and worries and you know and all the rest of it. And then, of course, that there, like, is it, it will implode at some point. So, um, 
you know, it, it brings out more of what's there. How much longer is this going to happen for? Well, have you set I, like a date because no, of the kids or anything? No, I can feel it coming to an end though. Okay. So I reckon we'll do the rest of this year. Yep. And uh, we're planning on uh, being over in Western Australia for the beginning of uh, next year. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, uh, my my son Billy does not know um, anything about um, <laughs> um, what would you say personal space. Yes. So uh, we, he needs to go to school. So yeah. uh, we will probably go and hang down in the southwest, down the Margaret River region where we okay. like. Put them in school down there. There's a little community school there uh, at a place called Kawaramup. Still um, in the van though. Yeah, we'll yeah. stay in the van, yeah, and just stick them in school for term one. Yep. And uh, I think that'll be the end of it. I think from there we're going to have to start looking at, all right, where are we going to be? Um, what are we going to do? Because uh, we're getting to a point now where, as amazing as it's been, um, there's things I want to do and achieve. There's things Michelle yeah, wants to do sure. and achieve. You know, we want to go and do our own stuff. And as much as we love the kids, it would be awesome to piss them off for seven hours a day. and <laughs> Actually do your own thing. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. You know, so – and that, that that I guess has been the uh, that's been the give and the take, you know, that that we've we've taken so much, but but it robs every part of who you are because yeah, you're with definitely. them all the time. And any parent listening would know what that would be like. They know what a two week school holiday is like. I was going to say exact same. I had a yep. weekend with the wife away, yeah, and me with the four kids for yep. pretty much what's that, forty eight hours. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those things. It's I really enjoyed school the next day. It's just a dynamic. <laughs> but you know what I'll say and. and and I think this is a, a lot of a, the spice of life, really. For me, I, I've had to have a couple of talks to myself on a couple of occasions and sit back in the truth of the matter that I choose this. Yes. You know, and I've had to say that, that I choose this. And at any point, if I wanted to just go and get in a clinic and practice again, I can do that tomorrow morning, yeah. you know. So it's not I'm not stuck here. I'm not being forced to, you know, you travel to it. cool places and spend a month on the beach. Yeah. I'm not forced to do that. I can do other things if I want to. But, uh, you know, that I do choose this. And I do look at those little cherubs and uh, and realise that, uh, that every good memory I have, when I'm laying on my deathbed one day, it'll all be based around them, um, the time we had together, mm. my wife, the time we had together, the things we did. It will never be about the car I drove or how many patients I treated a year. Do you know what I mean? So uh, exactly. It's, uh, it's been good. But I'll also say, though, I'll never go back to the other life again. I'll never work full-time again, yep. ever. Uh, I'll never consult full-time again because I don't want to be drained by it. I, I need to um, stay, um, you know, I need my cup half full rather than half empty. And uh, I need now to find somewhere in the middle where I can uh, make lots of money and not work as much. <laughs> <laughs> as we all want to. Yeah. Mate, the thing I really enjoy about you being on the road, there's two. One is we get to see you a little bit more often. But the second one is the fact that you've got this podcast. And when you started, it was called Caribbean Conversations. Yeah. And obviously at the intro of your podcast, it says the same thing. Yeah, by haven't changed some, it. Some, some really important bloke that, yeah. that does voiceovers. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and now it's called The Travelling Wellness Show. Yeah. And um, you've interviewed some really cool people. There's, I remember it must have been episode two or something, the guy at Byron Bay that you interviewed about uh, movement of the body and yeah. stuff like that. It's it, Keegan Smith. Yeah, Keegan. It, yeah. Was, it was so interesting. It was like yeah. I come off there going, I want to meet that guy. Like, yeah. And the thing I like about it is, what did you say? earlier episode 30 i think you're up to now yeah you've done obviously you've got similar to me on this like you get better as you do this thing more often and more often but the best bit i love about it is just you just you being you talking mm. to dudes you know yeah about stuff that stuff. people want to hear about exactly yep. and that's what it is yeah and there's one interview that i want to talk about and that's the kelly slater interview um my understanding is sort of come out of the blue it just happened and i remember as soon as it come out, that's sort of I've spoke to other people. Oh, do you hear that Kelly Slater interview? Yeah, well, that's a mate of mine. You don't have you heard the other ones? And they go, Oh no! And then they go back and listen to the other, yeah. the other shows. 
Can you tell us about how that happened? Obviously, Kelly's one of your heroes in life. Yeah, um, look, Kelly, you know, anyone that surfs uh, would look up to Kelly Slater. Yeah. You know? uh, I consider him the best athlete of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll argue that with anyone. Yeah. No one's done for the amount of generations uh, what he's done in any sport. Um, Jordan. Nah, not not like Slater, mate. No oh, way in the world. Doesn't we could even, have that conversation doesn't another even, day. <laughs> doesn't, even, doesn't even touch the surface, you yeah. know. And and also the fact that it's not in a controlled environment like a basketball court, yeah, you know court. what I mean? But anyway, we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, I, I look up to him as an athlete. I think he's a great athlete. But, so how'd the um, interview happen? So um, Trevor Hendy, the Ironman, yep. he's a friend of mine. Great man. Yeah, he's a friend of mine. He's a friend of Kelly's. Mm-hmm. So um, I, uh, I was going to Margaret River. I was going over there for the comp um, last year. And uh, I rang up Trev and I said, mate, um, I know Kelly's going to be over there. I'd, I'd, I'd like to interview him if you can um, try to tee it up for me. And uh, he, he he sent me a message. He said, you won't believe it. He said, when you text me, I was with Kelly. So oh, really? Kelly. So uh, he's in Margaret River as well? No, no, they're on the Gold Coast. On the Gold because yeah. Kelly lives up here as well. He's got a house here, yeah, yeah and, and Trev lives uh, in Palm Beach. And um, Trev is a, uh, a mentor to Kelly. Does a lot okay. of does a lot of work uh, around mindset and yep. belief and, and the like, and uh, he's very good at it. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, he said, uh, I spoke to Kelly. Uh, Kelly's like, happy to do it, you know, based upon, you know, the fact that, you know, I've vetted you type scenario. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here's his here's his international phone number. So I had his number in my phone, and I texted him out you know, a week or two later, and said, um, you know, we all good. He said yes. And then uh, then comes time to get the podcast done, and uh, Kelly gets kicked out of the comp that day in Margaret River, and uh, we're due to do the um, um, podcast that afternoon. And he sends me a message. He says, Shannon. I'm sorry to do this to you. Uh, there's a big swell about to arrive on the Gold Coast. Uh, I'm flying out tonight at midnight. Uh, we'll do it another time. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that'll fucking happen. Do you know what I mean? station. So anyway, uh, it was all good. You know, I was, I was bummed, but it was what it was. You, you know, know I text him one of your heroes. That's so pretty cool. And you know what? I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't look at athletes like that. It's funny. Like, yeah, he's, he's just a bloke, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny on, on, on some sort of like deeper unknown spiritual level. I felt a connection with him, you know, mm. and, We've been fortunate enough to share that afterwards, which has been nice. But at the time, it was, it was just a gut feeling that I yeah. had, you know. So I was like, that's a bum, no dramas. I might catch him next year at the Roxy Pro or something on the Gold Coast. So anyway, uh, next morning, I had consultations to do. And I went down to uh, a cafe in Preveley um, in WA, which is, just happens to be where a, lot of, where a lot of the pros have breakfast and stuff. I didn't know. I'm sitting down um, doing this consult right at the sort of right on the, um, the ocean's edge. So everyone's behind me and I, I turn around because I'm wanting to know where a toilet is and I turn around and I see Kelly sitting with Steph Gilmore and one of the ex-heads of uh, Quicksilver up in like a roped off area and um, I thought, he hasn't gone he hasn't gone to Queensland. Like, he's fucking stood me up. What's going on, right? <laughs> so anyway, uh, I rang Trev and Trev had me on loudspeaker in, in, the, uh, in the car and his wife, Jo, was there and I said, look, Kelly's still here. He told me he was flying out don't know what to do and Joe's saying just go up and see him you know just just go up and say <laughs> Joe said you know uh, they're all very good friends yeah, of yeah, course yeah. you know so anyway I put my big boy shorts on and uh yeah I just walked up and uh, under the rope and uh walked up and threw my hand out and said uh Shannon and he was like oh man fuck so sorry blah 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 and um we talked for about 45 minutes, had a coffee, and uh, we were talking about all sorts of stuff. And Steph and that were still there at the time. Yeah, they were yeah. there. Well, we had our back to them, so we kind of just <laughs> stole on the, the conversation, which which was a bit rude. But um, we had some really – he's a very deep thinker, Kelly. Mm. Uh, he's he's quite a uh, – he's got a, yeah, a real depth of complexity that most – 
wouldn't understand or acknowledge or, yeah. or possibly even get on with, to be honest with you. Okay. He's a very deep character. Bobby Wally's been such a good athlete. He, he, he needs to know the ins and outs of a duck's asshole. You know what okay. I mean? Like nothing's just because like everything has reason and meaning yep. and purpose. And so we had some, uh, some chats about uh, some things that were close and personal to him. Uh, he liked what I had to say. Uh, he said to me, look, let's get this podcast done tonight. I've got a massage later on. Can you come over at like, you know, half past 10? Now I've normally got, mate, I'm normally in bed. <laughs> I've got three kids, right? I've got three kids. I'm normally in bed half past nine. So anyway, half past nine, I put the two picks in my eyes, kept my eyes open. And uh, I went over to uh, Billy's place where, where Kelly stays when he's over there in WA. And um, he was in the shower. So I sat down and talked to Steph for half an hour or so and uh, had a bit of a chat. And then uh, I think Kelly and I pushed record. Uh, probably about half past 11 at night. and um, You're snoring at this stage. No, nah, yeah, well, yeah, not, <laughs> not far from woke it. Up. Not yeah. far from it. So, yeah, we just we just um, were in his room. We pushed record and we recorded a couple of hours of gold, really. And um, uh, I highly recommend anyone that hasn't listened to it, uh, look it up on, on iTunes for uh, the Travelling Wellness Show and, and the Kelly Slater interview, mate. It's one of the best that I've, uh, I've heard. And, yeah. and I know you got a lot of plaudits on social media. As soon as you released it, it was just like, wow, because everything you said was from the heart. Everything he said was from the heart. It was yeah. just this big love fest of yeah. man love. It was great. We had a really, really good really connection, good. and we've had a good connection since. And, and he's so a, you stayed in touch? Yeah, yep. And uh, he's a uh, he's a good person, you know, and, yeah. uh, and I understand him on sort of quite a deep level, which is nice, and it's nice to have that. But uh, yeah, that was a really good podcast. I enjoyed that one, and uh, you know, it's, if I probably could have interviewed anyone, he probably would have been the person had I had the chance. Top of the list. So it, it was overwhelming in the end because I got more than I bargained for. Thanks to Trevor Hendy, eh? Yeah, thanks. What to a Trev. great man. Yeah, great man, really good man. So what's next for uh, Shannon Brenton? Mate, I don't know. I just play life by ear. Oh, I to love be it. With you. I just kind of just cruise. So yeah, yeah. We're, we're here for another five and a half weeks, five weeks. We'll, so what uh, puts that? Like what makes we're there for six, we're there for, is that uh, just weather? planning? Oh, it's weather? <laughs> weather and waves. <laughs> you know, so we've just been in Tassie, like I said. So we we're keen to get here for a nice uh, Gold Coast winter. We yep. love the weather here in winter. So we'll hang here for another five weeks. I've had a few things to do uh, while I'm here and a few athletes to work with and uh, people to see like yourself. So from here, we'll go up to the sunny coast. Uh, my best mate lives on the sunny coast. We'll mm-hmm. spend you know, a few weeks there and then we'll head up to the Cape. And, um, yeah, we'll head over the West Coast after that and just go where we're happy. Just keep going. Mate, well, thanks so much for coming to spend some time with me. It's been a real me. pleasure. Mate, it's, it's been awesome. As far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human and thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir, as are you, and I really appreciate the time. Thanks, bud. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate podcasts.